0: Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Last week, uh, I, I began my message and actually started talking about a popular verse of Scripture that's typically used in connection with, um, with uh, churches when they're casting vision. And it's this passage of Scripture that comes out of Proverbs 29. It's 29.18. It actually says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's how the King James would translate it. Um, and we talked briefly about how the fact that what we're what you experience when you read that actually doesn't refer to like the leadership structure or uh, or an organizational kind of um, manner of how we're going to get to some destination. I think a lot of the times when we read about vision and the way that I've heard this passage of scripture used, where there is no vision, the people perish. Is trying to get people like engaged in a corporate setting like on a church or like a leadership level you know we have to accomplish such and such and we need to get to get to point B and so the vision of the church is that you know we're going to reach 1000 people uh, with the gospel or we're going to do this or we're going to do that and that's not actually A great definition of this word vision that we read in Proverbs 2019. I think it's important to note that we're not talking just about leadership skills. It's not an administrative vision. Um, It's not some sort of like corporate mission statement um, that we need to like get people to buy into, which is somehow, uh, which is sometimes how it's treated in kind of uh, church culture and the way that I've encountered it in the past. What it actually is speaking to is where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no prophetic utterance, the people will perish. And so it's talking about where there is no fresh word of the Lord, the people are actually going to perish. And I believe that in a sense you can, uh, you can ascribe that to the corporate body of Christ where we're not actively leaning in and listening to what the Lord's doing, we will perish. Friends, we will fail to be effective as a church to accomplish what God has in store for us. And uh, I, I, want to, I want to be clear about that. That word vision actually uh, is sometimes translated revelation in your particular Bible translation because it's talking about the vision that the prophets would have in the Old Testament. When they would have no vision, when they would have no word from the Lord, when they would have no prophetic insight, uh, the people had no response, and I believe that to be true. And so, I want to I want to talk to you this morning. <laughs> All that to say, I want to talk to you about the vision of Open Door Church. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the mission of our organization as a church. <laughs> And I'm saying that because I believe if we're going to accomplish the mission of the church, if we're going to accomplish the vision, I'm using these words interchangeably, if we're going to accomplish the purpose that God has for us, we have to actively be listening to what he's asking us to do. I think a lot of the times we can look to other organizations, we could look to other churches even and say, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to mimic that, I want to copy that because that seems to be effective for them there or that's effective for restoration or cross, uh, crossroads or center point or something like that. So that's what we have to do here. And friends, I want to I want to dismiss that idea That we have to look to someone else to figure out what we're supposed to be doing because I believe the Holy Spirit is actively speaking to us through His Word, and that's good news. Amen? So, we're gonna talk about what the mission of the church actually is. And I think when we're defining mission and explicitly the mission of the church, we must first ask the question what is the mission of God? Because inevitably, we want to be people at doing God's business. And we have to understand that the mission that is set before us is not just the mission of an organization. It's not the mission uh, just of Open Door Church, but it's actually the mission of God himself. You see, missiologists and uh, people that are way smarter than me and that like have letters at the end of their name because they've got these pieces of paper uh, actually coined this term uh, Maceo Day which actually uh, means mission of God. It actually is Latin. It goes all the way back to St. Augustine, where this kind of thought process first comes forth. But it directly refers to God's intentional actions in redeeming mankind for himself. And that's really cool. And that I realize that was a lot of, a lot of language there, but I think the first thing that we must understand that we serve a God that is on a mission that he is intentionally, I use this word strategically here, he is intentionally working to bring people back to himself. We're not serving, we're not like a deist kind of thought process where we serve a God that just kind of set things into motion in and is in hands off. Friends, we're serving a real and living God that is actively involved, actively engaged, and is working because he wants people to come to him. And that's good news, friends. And so with that, with that kind of as the, the foundation and the fundamental mindset, we have to understand that when we talk about the mission of the church, we're not viewing it as the mission of an organization. We're not viewing it as the mission of Open Door Church. We're viewing it first as the heartbeat of God. And it's the heartbeat of God for men to be reconciled to himself that is where we get the mission of the church from. Does that make sense? Tracking with me there? The second thing that's kind of preliminary that I want to talk about, this is going to sound a lot more controversial uh, than the first point, and that is that we are not actively working in this community or working in our spheres of influence to get people to give their lives to Jesus for their benefit. We could all agree, right, that Jesus makes people's lives better. Jesus makes brings hope to the hopeless, he brings healing to the broken, he brings salvation to those who are lost. Those are all good things, but none of those are the primary reason for reaching the lost. The fact that there is a world that is on its way to hell, which is a startling reality that we don't like to talk about a lot, because it doesn't sit right, it doesn't come across well, <laughs> that motivation in and of itself is not enough. And it's not the primary reason why we engage in mission. It's not that there is a lost and broken world that desperately needs the hope of a Savior, that we engage in the mission. How many of you would you agree with that? Some of you are like, no, I don't think so, Pastor Nate. Like, that sounds wrong. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Not not everybody was like ready to give an amen there. The reality of the fact is all of those things are true. All of those things I just mentioned are good, but they're, they're subsequent to the, to the fact that the reason why we engage in mission, the reason why we engage in evangelism and we want people to give their lives to the Lord is because it brings Him glory. Because I need you to understand this, and the reason why it's important is that um, God receiving glory and the reason why we do anything our motivation, let me backtrack, our motivation and our compassion is going to wear out if we look at people that are continually in need and we're saying they need help, they need Jesus, um, that's going to burn out. But one of the things that will never fade, one of the things that will never disappear is the fact that Jesus is deserving of glory and he's worthy of honor. Friends, I have a tattoo on the back of my leg. You can't see it, so it's not distracting this week. Um, Anyway, oh, don't get myself in trouble, Nate. Uh, (laughs) I have a tattoo on the back of my leg that says, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. It was actually the Moravian seal. It was a cry of two young men named Leonard Dober and David Nitschman. That in the 1700s, in the response to prayer, sold themselves into slavery, so they could proclaim the gospel message uh, to a group of uh, a group of people in the West Indies that was in like inaccessible other by other than by slave slave trade. The owner of the island would not permit missionaries to come, so rather they sold themselves as slaves, so they could minister the gospel on this island, and. Uh, as they were departing, as their families were begging them not to go, make a different decision. You're throwing your life away. You're young. <laughs> you have so much to look forward to. Their response was, why are, and they were, were question, why are you doing this? Their response was, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That became a rallying cry for, uh, for the missions movement in the 1700s to send missionaries because there were people that Jesus had already paid a price for that he was not receiving because of people's unwillingness to share the gospel. I want you to think about that. That's mind-blowing. That's mind-boggling for me to actually uh, sit and wrap my mind and think about. I shared this morning in just, uh, in just a few like brief words uh, under the context of um, in, in the place of prayer, we, we have a prayer meeting. I, I ask the question if you've ever, um, if you ever paid for something and never received what you paid for. I don't know in the age of online shopping, uh, if you've ever like bought something online and it just never came. <laughs> uh, how frustrating and infuriating that is or if you've ever, uh, I, I use the example of, um, of fast food everybody's experienced this, they've wound up in like a fast food restaurant and there's a picture on the wall and it looks so good, right? You see that picture of the cheeseburger and it looks great and so you, you hand over your debit card and you're paying like $12.99 for this cheeseburger. or what? If you're going to a fast food place and you're spending 13 bucks on a cheeseburger, something's wrong, but you get my, you get my example, you got gypped. <laughs> Somebody's sliding money. <laughs> um, and it comes out and it looks nothing like the picture, right? You didn't get what you paid for. I feel like that's often how Jesus feels. is that He paid a price for all of mankind, and he's only, he's only receiving a fraction of what he actually invested. And I believe a lot of that revolves around our unwillingness to do what he's asked us to do. So when I'm talking about the mission of the church, the first thing that we need to understand, the mission of the church is not um, an organizational mission. It's not just because, you know, Pastor Nate sat down and thought it was a good idea. We really need to reach people in Pagosa with the gospel so we could fill our church and, you know, we can pay the bills. That is not what the mission of the church is. And it's also not motivated by the fact that people need Jesus. It's that Jesus wants people. And that's what brings him glory. We always talk about how Jesus will satisfy you. Right? That's kind of the, you have this hole in your heart that needs to be satisfied only by, and this is good. That's all true. I'm not trying to diminish that idea. But the thought behind it is that, you know, Jesus will satisfy you. You're broken, and you need help, and you need this, and you need that, and Jesus can make all that right. And because he's good, because he's merciful, and he's compassionate, that's all true. But at the basis of why we want people to come to Jesus. It's not ultimately because they need a savior; it's because God needs glory. And that sounds really crazy. That sounds like, oh, wow, that's not very compassionate, Nate. That's not very. That seems like maybe even like a little narcissistic of God. Uh, what? What the heck? Like, <laughs> I'm saying that because the worth of Jesus never diminishes. Our willingness, our ability to be compassionate, does. So I'm talking about looking at this through the eyes of being engaged in doing the work that God is calling his church to do. Does that make sense? I hope so. I realize it may sound harsh. So I have three things that I want to emphasize very quickly about the mission of the church. And I've hit on them in different kind of uh, phases in the past. And this is all just serving as an introduction to talk about the specific mission of our church in this community and how we're going to accomplish that in the upcoming weeks. But one of the first things I love to get out of the way when I'm talking about the mission and the role of the church in our community and in the world at large starts by defining what the church is not supposed to do. Um, And Before I get there, uh, I feel like I should say this. I believe that the church at large fails to fulfill the intended mission of God. Um, not because we lack resources or like that we're unable to fulfill the mission of God, but it's because we're preoccupied and we're motivated um, by an inferior purpose than what Jesus is motivated by. I believe the motivations of the church at large are not the same motivations that Jesus has. I believe the things that kind of gear the modern church into functioning and operating are not the same things that motivate Jesus and the reason why he came to this earth. And until those things are reconciled, we will never be passionate about the mission of God because our motivation isn't placed in the right place. Does that make sense? The church fails to be the church as it was intended to be when our passions are not the same as Jesus. So number one, the, one, the first thing that we need to define as to what the church actually exists for is, I think, is helpful to define by what it's not. And these are actually the first two. The first thing to take note of, and you've probably heard me say this before, but the church is not the world's moral police. You need to understand this because the common narrative that I hear from people that don't know Jesus is that the church is made up of just a bunch of rules and regulations on what you can and cannot do, and we, you, you see it in the media, uh, it's always, it's always like conservative Christians that are trying to force ideology on other people, at least that's the way that the media portrays it, I'm not saying that that's everyone at large, but that's, that's a narrative that's being perpetuated, and a lot of people that don't know Jesus, that's the way that they feel, and some of it is very founded if we're being honest, friends, but our purpose is not to merely tell bad people that doing bad things is bad. Most people that are doing bad things know that they're bad and they like doing bad things. (laughs) Right? I guarantee you, you show up into like the Pagosa bar on a Friday night and say, hey guys, being drunk right now is bad. And they're like, who cares? It's like, stop being bad why it feels good to be bad right that's it's it's kind of this weird thought process that i think some christians have you see it should not come as a surprise to us that sinners without knowledge or relationship with jesus would continue sinning right that should not like blow our mind. Yet we're wondering why culture is so rough, why things are so bad. You know, we want to put uh, we want to put uh, like the Ten Commandments back in school and we want to have prayer here and there, and we want to ban abortion and make gay marriage like illegal. I'm not I'm not a proponent for any of those things. Hear my heart. But those are the things that Christians are most often known for, right? You turn on the news and you'll be like, oh, so and so here. Is trying to file another abortion ban, or so and so here is like just uh, so upset with gay marriage, and so and so here, and we weren't like, oh man, the world is bad, <laughs> and we get overwhelmed, right? It should not come as a shock to us that people that don't know Jesus are living in sin. And it's not our job to get sinners to stop being sinners. We're not in the we're not in the business as the church to simply um, be in the business of like behavior modification because that would make us more comfortable. You know, it'd make us all more comfortable if nobody did drugs, right? When we were around, right? That would that would make us all feel better and be at a little peace. But the expectation should not be for us, for people that do not know Jesus, to live like they do. And I just, I I grow increasingly frustrated when we have this perception of the church that we're more concerned about people's behavior before we are about their souls. Some of the people that I hang out with... like on a regular consistent basis that I'm praying for, that I would love for them to come to know Jesus. The things that come out of their mouth, the things that they say are rough. (laughs) And I always get this response. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm around the pastor. It's like, I really don't care because I don't expect you to live like you love Jesus until you love Jesus. That's when things change. And when I'm talking about morality, I'm talking about... Like spirituality, these things are completely different when we're talking about people that are born again and claim to love Jesus. Paul's very clear about that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here like trying to perpetuate this narrative of that. You know, we just need to like let all the rules loose or something like that. But it's it's foolish as a, of us to think that the world needs to get in line with our with our theology and our doctrine and are what we would expect behaviorally of good Christian people, of people that don't know Jesus. Does that make sense? You guys get what I'm getting at there? (laughs) You see, uh, I, I wrote this down, that we don't need to condone or celebrate man's depravity in any sense, but rather the church ought to stand as a beacon of righteousness and hope in the midst of a culture that is blatantly opposed to the way of Jesus. You see, telling somebody that they're doing it wrong without showing them the proper way to do it offers no help to those who are struggling. Just telling somebody that they're doing it wrong <laughs> doesn't actually give them any hope. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but I remember growing up all the time being told to do something and still messing it up and not realizing, uh, not realizing how to do it until somebody actually took the time to show me how to do it. Does that make sense? Uh, like Darwin taught me how to use a chainsaw a few weeks ago. He could have told me how to use a chainsaw, and that wouldn't have helped me uh, because I had no idea what the break was on a chainsaw. We eventually figured it out together after a little work. Um, But (laughs) The ability for me to actually chop down trees and be productive with the tool that he gave me came when he showed me and demonstrated how to use it. In the same way, we can't expect people to just fall in line and behave correctly. I'm using these words, like with the imaginary quotes behind them, without showing them a better way, right? Without showing them how to do things. You see, our world, our friends, our family, even Pagosa Springs—they don't need to be told that they are living um, that they're living an inferior or wrong life. They don't need to be told that. They need to be introduced and shown a better way. And that's the way of Jesus. I believe that. You see, I love, I love what David says when he's, when he's at one of his lowest moments. David uh, sleeps with Bathsheba, kills his best friend, all this crazy stuff. And he comes before the Lord after a time and just realizes, man, I blew it. I messed up. I'm a bad dude. And he, he repents to the Lord. And at the end of his repentance, he says this, Lord, if you'll restore me, if, if you'll have mercy and compassion on me, he concludes his long prayer with this. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He talks about showing them a better way. Because David had walked through it. He had experienced it. He knew to, what it was like to be on the mountaintop and he knew what it was like to be in the valley. And he's talking to the Lord saying, Lord, if you'll have mercy on me, I'll show sinners I'll show those that are broken a better way, and they'll return to you. That's cool to me, friends. That's really cool. And this doesn't mean that I'm not. I'm not against like being honest with people. Like sin will separate you from God, and God uh, wants good things for you. So I'm not trying to downplay the gospel message, but I believe as we actually speak, as we actually encounter people with the gospel message, it's got to be demonstrated by a lifestyle that would bring glory to him. And I believe that there is real power in showing people the gospel as well as telling them about it. Does that make sense? Got it? The second thing I want you guys to think of, I want you guys to take note, it falls in line with the first, and that is that the church is not some kind of bomb shelter. The mission of the church is not to be like... um, some kind of safe place or some kind of secretly reserved community. It's not an escape from the big, bad culture that's outside. What we do here as the church is not us trying to escape from all the bad stuff that's out there. You know, I think sometimes we have this view of the church almost as like a wildlife preserve. Like, that's what kind of Christianity is. It's like, you know, where everything that would threaten us or, like, have some kind of, like, teeth to sink into us is kept out at bay while we're all here, like, peacefully and we're taken care of. And there's nothing to worry about, like, the hunters can't come get us or anything like that because we're, we're on a preserve. Does that make sense? And so, like we're we're kept safe, we're kept hidden, and we can get all fat and lazy, and while everything outside of the perimeter of the fence is just going crazy, right? Sometimes I think that's how we view church. Does that make sense? I, I should probably read how I wrote it instead of just the way I said it. Um, <laughs> Where everything that would threaten us is held at bay, and we can continue to live a quiet and peaceful life. We're fed, we're nurtured, and none of the bad stuff of the world can get us. I will consider this. I would consider this perspective of the church as one that is removed from culture and also fearful of it. There's something that you need to know as a Christian, and it's part of the mission of the church, is that we're not supposed to be a safe haven for people that are afraid of all the bad stuff out there. (laughs) We don't exist here because the world is really bad and somehow we're supposed to be safe. I think that's what the Amish do, right? Because electricity is bad. Um, don't quote me on that. I don't know enough about Amish. I had a really good Amish friend, but uh, anyway. Um, friends, we're not called to be absent from the culture. We're not called to be removed from it, and we're definitely not called to be afraid of it. I love what Paul writes, because he, he had to combat this kind of thought within the Corinthian church. Um, he actually says this in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, beginning of verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the swindlers or with idolaters uh, because then you would have to actually be taken out of this world. Paul is saying here, he's giving instruction to the Corinthian church because he had said you should not associate with immoral people. But he, what he was referencing was people that were living blatantly in sin Claiming to be Christians. Paul says have nothing to do with those kind of immoral people. The people that would say, I've been changed by the gospel of Jesus. I've been changed and I'm new and I've found life in him, but my lifestyle denies that fact. Paul says has nothing to do with those people. But he's saying all the people that do, that, that are immoral, the swindlers, the liars, the covetous, the idolaters... I didn't say, like, have nothing to do with them, because then you would have to be taken completely out of the world. Now, I'm not saying go make best friends with, like, the local drug dealer. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, like, let there be, like, a voice of influence coming into your life from all of these people. But Paul doesn't give us the explicit command to be completely removed from those kind of people. Most of the time when we read that command to not be engaged with the immoral or the ungodly, it's within the context of the church. Friends, we can't expect the immoral, the ungodly, the idolaters, the covetous to come to the freeing power and the knowledge of Jesus if we're afraid of them and we're hiding from them. Does that make sense? It's this common cliche, and I hate using cliches, but it's so fitting here. It's actually not... Uh, verbatim from Scripture, but the concept is like prevalent throughout the entirety of Scripture, that we're called to be in this world, just not of it. You guys have heard that language. If you read the Gospel of John, you'll see it heavily in there. But we are called to be active and engaged in this culture, in this world. We're just not called to live like it. And that brings me to my third point. Um... And that is that the church is actually called to change and challenge culture by actively being engaged in it, living in faith uh, out of living faith out in a manner that is completely countercultural. I realized that was a mouthful. I'll reread that again. The church is actually called to change culture by actively being engaged in it, living faith out in a manner that is completely countercultural. I've talked about this a lot, friends. I've talked about this when we talked about mission a number of years ago. I talked briefly about this concept a number of, uh, I don't know how long ago it was. I talked about what it means to live in exile. We look through the story of Daniel, and uh, there's, this, there's this notion that the church is most effective when we're active in what is going on in the world around us, living under a completely different set of principles. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You see, culture is not changed when we attack it. We don't have to tell people like music is bad. Like, uh, we don't have to tell people, like, the movies you like to watch too are bad and you need to stop doing that. And we need to come up with, like, some sort of safe Christian alternative. Have you guys listened to Christian, like, music or, like, watched Christian movies? A lot of them are pretty bad. We're definitely not called to imitate culture. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Seriously, something's happened. I, I, I'm going to get off of my notes here just for a moment. But something has happened in the last number of years where we thought it was permissible because we saw the culture had something that was kind of cool and attractive, and we wanted it, so we took it and tried to put a Christian spin on it to make it palatable to, uh, and safe for Christians. I'm not, this is not me like saying, hey, go watch every R-rated movie or listen to your like horrible music. That's not what I'm saying at all but there was a point in time where the arts were driven by the church that culture looked to the church to see what direction like art was going and i believe we serve one of the most cre- we serve the creator right he's the most creative force on the planet he i believe that uh, the enemy actually doesn't have the ability to create. He can only manipulate. And I believe if the church is going to reclaim its seat of authority inside the creative arts, we're going to have to stop looking uh, to the culture for some kind of influence on what we're doing in the church and rather look to the Holy Spirit and we'll experience it. we'll experience a creative uh, renaissance, I believe, uh, within the church once again. If we prioritize his presence, anyway. Sorry, I'm just saying that because Christian movies are bad. I think I've seen like three good ones. <laughs> I'm saying that just—I'd rather not watch movies than watch a Christian movie most of the time, right? Man, I thought I'd get at least one amen on that, but <laughs> there we go. I get—I get everybody's like, man, but that's all we got. We gotta—we gotta like protect it. No, we don't. Um. (laughs) culture is not changed. And and friends, I, I believe this, that overall the mission of the church is to completely encounter a group of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that their lives would be transformed and God would receive glory as a result of it. And that is what changes culture. That's what's going to redefine what's normal, uh, for a community, and I believe that's a reality that Pagosa Springs can experience. I love the book of Daniel. I love Daniel as a person. Also, Daniel McLean, he's awesome. If you think about it, be praying for him. He's pro- he just started preaching right now at a church that he might become a senior pastor at here, and so uh, he probably started preaching about 15 minutes ago so, Father, we thank you for Daniel. We ask that you anoint him, uh, speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <laughs> but I love Daniel in the Bible. You guys remember Daniel? Uh, Daniel chapter 6 recounts the story of uh, a young man that uh, is, well, he's not young by this point in time, he's older, but he has such a faithful commitment to the Lord that when the decree comes out that you're not supposed to pray to anybody else or you're going to get thrown into the den of lions, Daniel, what does he do? He says, oh, that's bad news, and he goes and prays. (laughs) And the king hears about it and says, oh, well, we're going to throw you into the den of lions. I really don't want to, but I said it, so it's got to happen. He throws him into the den of lions. Uh, The lions don't eat him, right? And so uh, he gets saved, pulled out the next morning by the king, and the people that accused him and actually set up this whole thing get thrown into the lions, and they get eaten, and their bones get crushed before they even hit the ground. We don't put that part in the children's Bible story, but it's pretty cool. Um, it's in there it's the Bible don't get mad at me Jesus said it uh, we it's this this pretty like crazy thing but there's one thing about the life of Daniel that sticks out to me the most and it was that he lived a life that was marked by intentionality and consistency and these two traits are going to define whether or not the church fulfills its mission here in Pagosa Springs will we be intentional about the mission of God and will be, be will we be consistent about it you see I've met people that have been intentional for just a few moments <laughs> and then somehow their motivation lacks and it, it wanes and it disappears. Guys, I was a prime example of that. You know, before Kelly and I got married, I hit the gym for like a solid like 6 months every single morning. And I mean like I was I was getting after it, you know, like it was great. Then I got married, and I didn't have the need to go to the gym anymore. Like I landed that. Uh, just kidding. Well, that I just compared my wife to like a fish or something. That is so bad. Don't. I don't think she's hearing me right now because I didn't see a response. Um, thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but in reality, what the reason why you see the physique before you today. Is not like a bunch of dedication and hard work. This is me just eating bad and not exercising anymore. And it's because there isn't a consistent, the intentionality might have been there for a moment, but it wasn't followed through with consistency. And that's that's going to be true of any aspect of your life with whatever you do. If you're not intentional about actually accomplishing it and consistent with doing it, it's not going to amount to anything. And I love Daniel because he's intentional and he's consistent. And in fact, regardless of the circumstance that we find him in, every time we see Daniel in Scripture, whether it's when he's first taken into captivity in Daniel chapter 1 and he's taken as a slave and circumstances are terrible for him, he's still serving the Lord. Whether it's Daniel chapter 6 and he's like, he's like in charge, <laughs> he's still consistent in serving the Lord. In fact, Ezra, if you read in Ezra chapter 1, we see that for over 80 years, Daniel remains just as loyal, as intentional, and as consistent as he was when we first meet him as a young teenage boy. That's how I want to live my life, friends. I want to live my life so intentionally and consistent that when I'm 80, <laughs> that can people can say, you know, he's just as passionate. He's more passionate now than he was when he first started. And he's more intentional now about the things of God. He's more consistent now than when he first started. That's what I want my testimony to be, friends. But when that happens, that actually provides, um, that gives power to see culture transform and change. Anyway, I I could talk about this a lot. And I love the fact that Daniel chapter 1, one of my favorite verses of Scripture say says he begins his life in captivity in a foreign country as a slave that are serving false gods. I mean, it's bad. He's living in the midst of a culture that is completely opposed to the way of the Lord. I mean, he's been given new name. uh, Everything about his identity has been attacked. And he says this. He says he resolves not to defile himself. There's a resolve inside Daniel that he carries through with intentionality and consistency all the way through his life, that at the very end, uh, we'll see in Ezra chapter 1, kind comes to this like culmination of this life that has served as a testament and actually has brought about transformation within Babylon, which is Babylon's representative of sinful culture. And it's really cool. It's really awesome. Um, and that was one man remaining consistently... Um, engaged with the Lord and see this crazy thing transpire. But as I'm talking about the mission of the church, this is simply to serve as an introduction, friends. And I wanted to like lay some framework for where we're going because I'm going to talk about specific aspects. If You'll see our cards, you'll see like little things. We've, we've talked about them before and I believe the Lord's given fresh life to them and it's an appropriate time for us to revisit them. But I believe that the mission of the church here in Pagosa Springs is threefold. It's to awaken people to the reality of a God that loves them, that will change their life. So people that that are completely lost and without knowledge of Jesus as a Savior, I want them to meet Jesus and discover how good he actually is. It's also to awaken people from spiritual complacency. I believe there are a lot of people that have checked the box of Christianity on maybe a census somewhere, and they think that they're good with God, but church and their faith to them is no more than just showing up maybe once in a while on a Sunday morning and making sure they put a little money in the offering so they don't feel bad. I want people to get disrupted from that cycle. I don't want that to be all that church is for anybody. I want them to experience the life of the Holy Spirit that transforms people. So that's that's part of the aspect of the mission of Open Door Church, is to awaken people to that reality. The second thing is that we want to equip people. We want to make disciples. We want you to be equipped to grow in love for Jesus. That means we want you to have a knowledge of how to practically grow in your faith. And we want to be able to spiritually equip you and teach you the things that Scripture asks us to teach you. The last aspect of what we want to do as Open Door Church to fulfill the mission that God has put in front of us is that we want to be able to send people. We don't want what God's doing in this house to be contained within this house. We believe that God, as he transforms as he begins to minister, as people get saved, as they get discipled and equipped, that there would be a launching. We want to sow good seed amongst the community, amongst the nations. We want to see a sending force come forth from this little church in Pagosa Springs. Because we believe that what God is doing here is powerful enough to change the world. That's not some kind of preacher rhetoric. That's the truth. Turn with me to John 20, chapter 21. This is going to be a theme of ours for the next couple of weeks. And I want you to, I want you to pray about it. I want you to begin to grasp the weight of what Jesus says here. These are some of Jesus' final words on earth. He says this. He's appearing to his disciples after the resurrection. And he comes and he says, peace be with you. This is John 20 verse 21. He says, as the father has sent me. So Jesus saying is saying as God, the father has sent Jesus. So I am sending you. That's, that's heavy language. If you think about it, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says in the same manner that God sent me, I'm sending you. In the same way what Jesus is saying here, he says that the mission that God gave me to fulfill and the reason why he sent me into the earth, I'm now passing that on to you. I'm passing the baton off to you. It is now your responsibility to fulfill the mission that I came and started. He's carrying the same weight and authority that God the Father had sent Jesus into the world and it's with that weight and authority that he's commissioning his disciples to go as well. Then he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, and this is not the message for today. But friends, I believe by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that the Father and the Son are sending his bride, are sending his church to fulfill the mission that God has initially started of redeeming mankind for his glory. And you need to understand that you play a pivotal role in that. It's not, I get to sign up and I get to show up to church once a week. That is not why Jesus came and died and gave the Holy Spirit so that you could feel good about yourself for coming to church. I wish that was as simple as it was. But what I feel like the Lord's been stirring in me, what I've been excited about for our community, and what I've been looking forward to is a full-fledged effort of seeing Pagosa Springs transformed with the gospel of Jesus, of life's changed down, of those that were broken no longer broken, those that were hurting no longer hurting, those that were bound and addicted no longer bound and addicted. I'm not content with people just coming to church because we'll never fulfill the intention of Jesus, if we view church as just something that we come to rather than something we're a part of with a clear objective to accomplish. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be harsh, but I believe what God's doing is good, and it's worth us noting that it's worth our attention, and it's worth our engagement. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.